Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider. It is USC week, but before we get into too much of the Trojans, which we will hear shortly, Notre Dame coming off a 44 to nothing victory over Boston College. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley of Irish Illustrated, joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And it was uh, hammering there in uh, snowy Notre Dame Stadium Saturday. It was over before it started, man. I mean, <laughs> Notre Dame had to kick. Boston College is fortunate that they held a couple times and forced Blake Groupie to kick three field goals because it would have really, really gotten out of hand. It got out of hand in the first half. There was no doubt Notre Dame was a superior team, and I think they took Boston College's will away from them just about from the get-go. Yeah, you could joke the turning point was indeed kickoff or when Dracovic started jumping around, uh, shipping up to Boston, but I think Benjamin Morrison's pick in BC territory after they had held them to three points to set up that touchdown. You're like, all right, this is, this is a wrap right now. They're going to, they're going to kill them. And I could not find went back about nine years. Um, I could not find a time where Notre Dame scored on eight consecutive possessions as they did in this game. There was a lot of ones that you would have thought of from 2017, but usually you have a punt thrown in there, right? Usually you have a, an interception thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Their first eight possessions were scores, including five touchdowns, which is a nice, that's a fine ratio. And then the ninth, the ninth possession was an 11 play drive. That's a productive possession too. So it really wasn't until the final three and out when they didn't care anymore, that they finally got stopped. Yeah, I I agree. I I thought that it was a game for two possessions and then Morrison picked off Emmett Moorhead um, on third down there when I think Howard Cross got in his face a little bit and that was it. That was the game. Um, Boston College, we we knew they couldn't run the ball. Um, I think that on a 55-degree day without win, they would have thrown the ball with some success, but not enough to, to push Notre Dame. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a nice bounce-back performance from the second half of Navy. And as I asked Marcus about after the game, I thought it was significant in the sense of, like, they played a, a – level game when they could have got away with a C minus and one. Um, and that's what, that's what teams that contend to make the college football playoff do. You just don't play up when you play Clemson, you gotta, you gotta beat down and take care of business, uh, on the opponents that you're are clearly better than. Yeah. And they finally did it. I was surprised that Boston college just didn't put up more of a fight. But again, I, like I said, I think that Notre Dame took their, their heart and their will away Maybe it had something to do with it. Sounded like the flu was running through Boston College, and it hit of it hit worst of all places, the place that it couldn't hit, as far as the Eagles were concerned, the offensive line, and and they were obliter- obliterated. Benjamin Morrison is a remarkable football player, uh, and just getting better by the week. I mean, five interceptions in the last. I mean, he had two in one game and three in another. It's just it's it's ridiculous how good he is out of the shoot. He's a humble star. Um, and he's just going to get better and better. There's no freshman in the country that's – I think there's a – I had in today's tail of the tape, there's a couple freshmen that have a, have three interceptions and four, but there are only 11 players. Well, I take that back. There's only three players in the country that have more interceptions than Benjamin Morrison. 
he picks off Caleb Williams this week, he is going to be the more <laughs> remarkable story than Brian Mason's seven block punts, six interceptions from Benjamin Morrison, including Clemson twice <laughs> and and the USC. That would that would probably be the highlight. But yeah, he's a uh, he's a remarkable player, and he doesn't get a lot of really didn't get any get Walter Camp Player of the Week after Clemson. But I didn't hear as much this week. You, you see on the ticker three picks. I mean, they're not going to give him Walter Camp Defensive Player of the Week again because it was Boston College, of course. But those were those were nice plays too. His first interception was tremendous coverage. His second one was knowing his role, and in his third one, I, I still wish I would have gotten a better answer out of him. Like I think we would have a couple of weeks ago, and he was having fun. But he must have his eyes must have gotten so big when he saw that third <laughs> ball coming. <laughs> like at this point, like oh I mean, my all god, he had another to, one. All, all he had to do is just close on it. I thought, you know, the one where he I'm starting to get them mixed up at this stage uh, because you're looking at bits and pieces of all of it, but where he came out of his, I think it was the first one where he came out of his back. Yeah, it was where he came out of his back pedal and broke on the football. My goodness, the closing speed on a play like that. And I, I, I said this in tail tape and I, everybody should go back and look at the, the first interception where, he turns to the Boston College bench and he stretches his arms out like shrugged, like here I am. Look at the length of that kid's arms. That is a great asset for a cornerback to have instincts, change of direction, burst on the football. You know, in the interception in the end zone, he turns and looks for the ball at the five yard line, you know, and when he realizes that he's in phase with. I think that was Joseph Griffin again, man. They tried to, he didn't catch a pass. He got, he was shut down. The kid came in with 18 catches, five touchdowns, but he shut him down. Anyway, he knows he's, he knows he's in phase with him. I can turn and look at the ball. I can jump, shield yeah. him, make a play and give the ball back to the offense. A tremendous football player. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a very fun guy to watch. I loved uh, from the offensive side of the ball, the fact that we saw 31 personnel, I think, for maybe the first time all year, yeah, where you got estimate digs and Tyree out there all at the same time. Um, good. you know, not something you're probably going to go to a lot, but no, but something know, to explore next year, maybe if you're play if you're playing a team that is a discipline against the run and has some linebackers that don't know where to look, I don't know, you might want to try it out next week too. Uh, but that was kind of fun to see. How about I, I don't know about you guys, Tim? I mean, you go you go back in the years of Notre Dame football, but five straight games of 35 points or more has only been done 10 it's times weird. and it hasn't happened. It hadn't happened since 1943. If they score 35 against USC, which is feasible under the yeah. conditions oh, no. of, of their defense and what kind of game it may have to be. I think winner lose never the been 35 done. against USC. Like that. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that it's never, sense. that's never been done. You know, I went back it's and crazy. looked in, yeah. in 88, Holtz came close, but they scored 31 in a game. And then in 89, they scored 34 uh, against USC, I believe it was. What year are we? Yeah, that would have been right. Um, So they they just missed. But, I mean, five straight games of 35 or more. I'm sure Lincoln Riley's got streaks long beyond that. But uh, that's pretty good. And it It, it it, it speaks to the block punts. It speaks to the turnovers that the defense is now forcing and also the offense must be doing something well too. Yeah. There's also, there's, I mean, this it's mostly, it's, it's great. It's a great thing there's little dynamics involved here or why teams don't get there. For instance, even like the 17 team 
scored 49 38 52 33 49 35 48 right, i mean that's right. an amazing run but they scored 33 in the rain against north carolina and that's why stats count but if you said how many times in a row has Notre Dame scored over 30 you'd have to change everything because that, that's there too obviously yeah. this is a it's a great stat for them <laughs> to tout because it is a three-phase effort i think that's the best way of looking at notre dame's team it's a three-phase team in the last yeah since stanford it's been a three-phase football team Right, because it's if you said how many games have they scored five offensive touchdowns in, right? You would get to I think just one last weekend. Um, so that's, but they're they've been playing complimentary football for the, about a month and a half now, and that's that's really significant. Um, the de- you know, it's a, the defense has been playing good football longer than that, um, but I think the offense just had to do its part, uh, and it's been doing its part the last month and a half. Yeah, sorry, Pete. Yeah, the defense held BC to ten first downs. 56 yards rushing <clears throat> on 36 carries. There were four sacks. There were five turnovers. Nordame is uh, well past the bottom of the, the heap of uh, turnovers here now that they've been able to string some together in recent games. I believe it's 11 over, over five games after just getting two in the first six games. So it's coming together. Drew Pine was good when he had to be in the first quarter, nine for 12, 111 yards. After that, they didn't need him to do much, and he didn't. The conditions certainly, you know, played toward that. I thought a couple of his early throws in that first drive were just knocked down by the wind, but he threw some – he uh, he found Deion Colsey. Deion Colsey continues to excel. He found Mayer on a a nice um, uh, up-in and and corner route. He did some good things when when he had to. He's not consistent enough generally to string that over four quarters i'm not sure it's fair to to use this game as as an example but i mean if you look in recent weeks his inconsistency makes him a 50 to 55 percent passer and so that's what you have to deal with but the irish rush for 281 yards led by Diggs and estimate who really when you when you sit down and break down the way they're running the football really continue to impress i don't see tyree creating plays on his own like those guys do he's been getting some great blocking and has scored untouched untouched a couple times but they got it really going on as they go into usc and usc has their struggles on the defensive side of the football how many yards did estimate finish with tim he had 71 <laughs> are you asking that for a specific reason Tim? i, I, I am yes he had 71 indeed. and tim needed uh 74 and a half i needed 4.5 more yards okay out of that one yeah um, people in vegas it, know what they're doing when they set the over under yeah. 42 and a half <laughs> yeah oh, yeah man. that too that too um yeah i didn't you know they made we touted or i touted emmett moorhead coming into the game but you know behind that offensive line which is just you see, I, I know yeah, you know it, what I mean now when I talk about the five roll of the dice. Pete, Pete uh, said it. Um, they would have passed for some yards and made some plays without that wind. But you yeah. know what's really crazy about that? Boston College can't play in the snow. Boston College's program for 30 years would have thrived in that game. I mean, they would have lost to Notre Dame with this team. But Boston College has always been tough offensive linemen a tough-minded quarterback, a running back you don't know about until he has his 1,200th yard, and wide receivers and tight ends that make plays that you never knew about until you start studying Boston College. They don't have any of that. It's really a shock to me that Jeff Halfley has such a bad product on the field right now. 
They have a bad yeah. product. Out They're there. not good. They're not good. I mean, if you have they, their offensive line is so bad that they can't do anything. I mean, we've we've covered a team or teams that have had bad offensive lines, and it just the the center just collapses on itself, yeah. and that's that's what Boston College is right now. It's a, it's collapsed upon itself because it is not good on the offensive. It's not just not good on the offensive line. It's atrocious. It's it's um, really, really bad. And remember last week when I said, you know, I like their defensive ends in retrospect. Now I can look back and say, you know what I liked about them. I liked them as pass rushers, not defending mm-hmm. the run because Which as, as a, college could always do was defend exactly the run. <laughs> as number six, as a was, was getting plowed. I, Valdez is, you know, an undersized guy to begin with. And Marcus Freeman, Zeke Corral was named the offensive player of the game because of what he did to their interior defensive line. So to your point, Tim, they're bad on both lines. And it, and it showed. Notre Dame had the opportunity. They took advantage of it. That was exactly the way you expect Notre Dame to, to handle a, a, a down opponent. And right. there was, there was right. never, any, never any doubt about that. There's very few things not to like from that game. If you're a Notre Dame fan, yeah. there was zero look ahead. There was zero Navy hangover, which really doesn't exist anymore. That was an old thing. I think that was a thing when Navy was better too, by the way, there was, there was a Navy hangover because they were a better team that you just played against. It's like having yeah. a hangover against some good teams you play. That was, uh, I, I think I said this to Tim post game. I'm not going to worry about Boston college and the, uh, what they used to be until I see it again, when I pick this game in the future, because they don't resemble anything <laughs> of what they used to be. They really do not. Uh, before we turn the page on Boston College, any other aspect or any other player you want to mention? Michael Mayer, of course, Tommy Reese. I want to talk to him Tuesday about his obvious special effort to get Mayer another another reception so he could go over 2,000 yards. Uh, and you know what? I thought that was a great idea, the way they got Mayer the yes, football, it was. because it's it a was. safe way. In, you know, in the weather. You got to get, get it for him, man. There's, yeah. it's not his, it, you need to it get over that. Passing. Yeah. It's uh, it was nice to do it from at home. Obviously, he's gonna he needed let's say he needed thirty yards. He was gonna get that at USC. He's gonna get 30, sure, you know sure. in, in good health. But doing it at home to honor him, that was the way they honored him. We were wondering how will they yeah. honor him? Will he score his touchdown? It was by doing that, and he got to wave and he got to come off the field. So. Finally, like Michael Mayer gets a moment during the game where he's <laughs> yeah. recognized. Yeah, he's like something. the only guy that's ever had multiple moments in one season to be it's recognized. These yeah, it's, he's had a bunch. Well, Isaiah Foskey had his moment at the end of the first half. Great timing too. Yeah, very good. The, yeah. the bear, the bear hug sack, and he was able to acknowledge it as they announced it, and the clock ran down. Boston College didn't want to snap it again, so there was time for him to acknowledge it on the field. That was we said going into the game, man. If you're gonna, if you have a prime opponent to do it against, this yeah. is the one, and and uh, he deserved it. He's uh, he had 11 sacks last year, and he now has what is it? Is it ten, nine and, and a half? Ten and a half, nine and a half, right? Is it ten nine and a half uh, nine this and a half. year? With an opportunity against USC, uh, we're going to talk to to, more about to get to USC. twelve or thirteen, right? That'd be yeah. good. Yeah, uh, USC's uh, O line's pretty good. I've heard mixed yeah. reviews on them. What I've seen up to this point is, well, everything about that offense uh, is is Very really good. really good. Starting with the quarterback, yes, Tim. We should uh, go over since we're transitioning the injury report from Marcus Freeman today because I do think it's notable. Um, the word questionable with Marcus Freeman usually means doubtful doubtful yes i would agree cam hart is who you're referencing yes i was surprised to hear that and especially when it's shoulder injury yeah i thought 
it's you know, when before. you watch the, re- we saw it better uh, from the stadium than we did on the, the, the TV replay where he threw a hand and well, he had limped off at one point earlier in the game. And then he made a tackle where he threw his arm out there. And I thought, did he break his thumb? Did he hurt his hand? That's but what a I lot thought of times. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of times when it's a hand injury, they're holding it that way because their shoulder hurts so damn much. And the last thing that Cam Hart could afford was another shoulder setback. Yeah, that's that's troubling for this weekend. Um, this is just not a good matchup for Notre Dame without a corner to go with Ben Morrison, to go with a nickel like Tariq Bracey. But um, getting Brandon yeah. Joseph back, which who's, yeah. who's got a his ankle injury has gone on for a while now. Um, that that would be significant. But um, and Pete, I believe and, him when he's back too with the probable because remember. Brandon Joseph was able to participate a little bit with that ankle injury, right? With as a punt returner when they needed him and stuff. So right. I feel I just, like he's probably okay. For him, I wonder it's just like, all right, you don't need me against Boston College. Like Freeman yeah. has rolled the dice on like not pushing guys. Bertrand against Navy, for example. Um, this is a game when you have to push guys. So and if yeah. you're Brandon Joseph and you want to go pro, right? This would be a good game to get some tape. Yeah. So and, and to complete this, um, heart is questionable. Uh, so is Tobias Merriweather as he remains in concussion protocol, but probable Arfoski, he got his, he stepped on a foot late in the game or in the second half. He's probable Mitchell Evans, man. He got, you know, on that one yard, if you guys have seen it yet, he got absolutely buried on that one yard touchdown run. I mean, like he is under the pile of seven guys somewhere under there is Mitchell Evans and he came out with a bad ankle, but he's probable. So is Brandon Joseph. So is uh, Jason Adamalola as well. So and we'll be back. I, I think the Tim real fast, the Merriweather thing is a little troubling in that if he's out of concussion protocol tomorrow or Tuesday, he hasn't practiced in a few weeks or a couple of weeks. So I'm not that, that yeah. that's a very questionable situation. Yeah. I think, well, they got to, they're leaning on Deion Colsey a little bit more yeah. now, and he's been productive in three of the last four games. So maybe they can get something more out of Lorenzo styles. I thought you had a good point, Tim, that if you can't throw it to it, hand, hand throw it to him, hand it to him. Um, and, and maybe he can, uh, he can loosen things up a little bit back segment two, burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun here to share the leprechauns game day at Notre Dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from step off under the golden dome to ND stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at dodublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000 year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course. Because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Segment two of Burning Up the Boards, our first question comes from Jay Marasco. The podcast after the loss to Stanford, Priester mentioned there were some concerns, quote unquote, red flags about Marcus Freeman. As winning the last five games eliminated the concerns, he does appear to be getting more comfortable with his role as head coach. Will how he handles the QB position determine his fate at Notre Dame? I don't know that I would say uh, eliminate the concerns, but you know, I mean, let's face it at that point, they were three and three. 
and the buttons that he was trying to push against lesser opponents. A horrible uh, opponent. Yeah. I mean, a, a really, really bad opponent. that's now been outscored 164 to barely anything since since then, or even with it, they want, you know, Stanford's fortune. They won back-to-back games, 16 to 14 and 15 to 14. Um, but you know, I mean, I, I, I will say, I'll say this about Marcus Freeman. I think he is, I think he's shown himself to be one of the great learners th- this season. I, I don't think that he takes anything for granted, whether it's success or failure. He looks at it all and evaluates that. I think in all of our conversations with him, you know, the feedback, the the give and take that we've had with him. I think that he's, he has talked the talk when it comes to that stuff and his team has begun to walk the walk. So, um, I mean, I, I think that's one of the most impressive things about him is that he learns, um, he takes what happens good or good or bad and, uh, and tries to correct it or as he likes to say, enhance it. So, I mean, what can I say? They're they're playing much better football. November, they're playing quality football, except for the, you know, the, I guess the second half of Navy. But you know, Notre Dame has, not, has scored seventy two points in the first half of the Navy game and Boston College game. I mean, they're they're the the old problem of slow starts. They've corrected that against two lesser opponents. We'll see what happens this weekend. But um, I mean, what can I say? They're playing much better football, and they seem to be responding to Marcus Freeman's coaching. In-season improvement is not limited to players. Um, coaches are part of that, too. Marcus Freeman was pretty candid, I thought, earlier in the year when he basically said he had a fake confidence in front of the team, um, you know, after Marshall or Stanford. He doesn't have to fake anything anymore. Um, you know, and the players, you know, talking to people around the players, I never got the sense that there was any doubt about the players' faith in the head coach. Um you know, maybe some assistance and, you know, you're wondering, okay, what are we doing here? But like the head coach has had, I think, an unwavering belief from the roster from the get-go. And that includes during Marshall and Stanford. As far as the second question, yes, because (laughs) every head coach at every program's fate is determined by how you handle the quarterback position. Um, So that's, that is a huge call for Marcus this winter. And it's a call that I think he should make with some input from others, but maybe not a lot of input. Like that's, it's a call. It's on him. This is, I'm going to quote our favorite former high school baseball coach. Like the wins and losses go next to Marcus Freeman's name, not the offensive coordinator, not the defensive coordinator, the head coach. So it's a call that Freeman has to make. And Marcus Freeman said today, which caused uh, more than a few, I guess, probably shifts in chairs. Talking about Caleb Williams, he said, every offense, I believe, starts with the quarterback. Whew, yeah. And uh, and did I mention that this is a tough matchup for Notre Dame, the quarterbacks? But he, know, he knows. The, the people he does. We're gonna, we'll be asked a lot on our message boards and a lot on Twitter and a lot everywhere else. He is well aware of the mistake they made by not bringing a quarterback in the offseason, even if that quarterback would not have been good enough to beat anybody out. It was still a mistake. To not, no, it's yeah. a bigger mistake not to bring in a quarterback that could beat somebody out. But of course... It was just a mistake not to augment the room because you could have had you could have beaten Stanford if Drew Pine had some time off from that game and maybe came back and started the next game. Or you could have beaten Marshall if you had an experienced guy to go in there when Tyler Buckner went down or when Tyler Buckner threw his second pick. Right. There's there was plenty of ways to augment the room. 
Yeah, and, and the quarterback room is, I mean, Kenny Minchie, uh, we didn't, I was going to bring him up in segment one. I mean, of course, he he visited. Um, I mean, as far as I know, they still expect to get a verbal commitment from him publicly. I understand what I'm saying there. They still expect to get a public <laughs> verbal commitment from him soon, and they're going to bring a transfer in. And, and, and we've said this several times. Notre Dame, if you're a quarterback that enters the transfer portal, I, you look at Notre Dame and say, damn, I'm going to be a part of that. It's a, it's a, you would be walking into a pretty good situation uh, knowing that it is a offense defensive line driven program. Pete, I thought you asked a good question about that today as it relates to, uh, um, you know, how you sell that to wide receivers. Uh, and, and he had a pretty good response. You know, that your quarterback's going to be protected at Notre Dame. So he'll have time to get you the football. Yeah. Now they just need a quarterback who can get you the football. Well, true. And they're, (laughs) and all they can do is work on that. And that's what they're doing right now. Hey, Bailey Four, what did you make of Phil Dracovic's Instagram post? As as an aside, I did not expect to be reading a question about this on, say, Saturday morning. Do you think Freeman's post-game comments about Notre Dame weeding out the non-resilient types was coincidence or aimed in the direction of Phil's post? Uh, Pete, I, I'll, I'll talk more about it, but I've expressed an opinion about this already in, in print. Uh, why don't you start? Uh, so if Brian Kelly said the exact same quote, it would have been 100% aimed at Phil Dracovic, um, but I don't think Marcus Freeman meant as uh, throwing shade at Dracovic because they didn't even know him. Um, I thought Dracovic's comments in the summer sort of criticizing Brian Kelly and the offensive staff and not feeling a lot of support there were totally in bounds. Like, because he has not, he had not talked about the reasons he left really. And he, you know, he has the right to to say that. Um, I thought saying it in the summer was probably a good idea. Posting something on the day of the game felt just, totally bizarre it just felt like microwaving some angst for just to do it um it was very strange um there wasn't really anything super like hot take in there it just felt like you you were inviting a spotlight on yourself that you shouldn't have um so i just thought it was that was very weird i don't think it had anything outcome with the game i don't think it had anything to do with marcus freeman's afterward the comments after the game either O'Malley. I think it had something to do with Marcus Freeman's comments after the game, because in general, he does not like the idea of someone leaving the program and having any shade towards the program. Like he, he, Trakovic took shots at the institution. Someone told Marcus Freeman about it and he was able to work it in. I don't, I don't, it was, it wasn't the Brian Kelly way. Like, boy, I can't wait to drop this one on these guys. One of those things, but look, you know how Marcus Freeman handled the Joe Wilkins transfer? I, I'm, not, I'm not blaming him. I would handle these things the exact same way. I'd be like, okay, leave. That, that's how I would feel. If someone told me they didn't want to play in the bowl game, I'd be like, all right, see you later. I I would be petty in that way. And I think he has some of that in him, and I like that. So that's. I really think that I feel the same way. I was like, I don't know. Maybe you got to whine this much, Dracovic. It is good that you left for more than one reason. It's good for you because it was very important for him to leave. He would not have had a career here like he did at Boston College, right? He had a chance to have a career. He had a really good year, actually, in 2020. And then it's been injuries since. Like, I think last year was waylaid by the hand, or there was a thumb or wrist injury. Yeah, he missed most and, of the season. And this year, I mean, I, I don't I don't particularly <laughs> care for the quarterback, but I don't blame him for this. I mean, he had no chance this year with that offensive line and everything else to become a better I, player. Cor- both you guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we all, when, when he said what he said upon leaving, he was justified in saying yes. that. I yeah, mean, yeah, I, the, I, yeah. I, 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 I was... 
I, you know, I don't know that I don't know that I portrayed Jerkovic's situation while he was on the Nordame roster as sensitively and as accurately as I could have, but I understood why he was upset when he left and he was entitled to that. This was silly. And I, this is not it was a really weird. It was it, really I mean, weird. You sold, you sold your teammates out by saying it on the day of the game and you're not even, you're not even playing. And this is what, this is what I was sensitive about. He questioned the integrity of my alma mater. And I was not going to just allow Phil Jerkovic to question the integrity of the people at Notre Dame. He's in no, he's in no position to make that statement. And that's all I was saying. I don't, I don't wish any ill will on Phil Jerkovic and he is still just a kid, but you had your say when you left. And as you said, Pete, I mean, this was just, this was ill-timed. It it wasn't, it did no good to your teammates. Yeah. No. And the really weird thing is like, if he just aired most of this, some of it never needed to be said because it's really dumb. But if he aired most of this in the original interview, or even if he did an interview, like if somebody came at, at the draft combines and said, hey, come talk to us about your experience. And he went off again in a story that has nothing to do with his teammates playing the game for him on that game day, which is just ridiculous timing in an Instagram post. Nobody asked you (laughs) like no one asked you this question of you. What are you talking about? And if you want to like yell, like they're fake, they're a brand, they play shipping up to Boston to motivate your teammates. That's totally fine. But when he mentioned, when he mentioned brand and he said, Mac, he, he, is he saying that John McNulty, is that who he's referring to? That John McNulty said that to him? I, I am assuming it is like most things on social media. It's our, a lyric from a song that I'm just okay. not aware right. of. Right. Well, right. if you're not aware of it, I sure as hell am not. So <laughs> we will move on. Hey, look, all the best to Phil Jakovic, but that struck a nerve with me because he's talking about Notre Dame, and I don't think that he's in a position to question Notre Dame's integrity. That's why I responded to it. Dallas, Dallas Irish 83. Deion Colsey has turned into a reliable receiver in the second half of the season. What explains his slow start? and more recent surge the slow starts easy he did not have a great he did not have a good spring he did not have a very good summer and then he got hurt (laughs) that is the number one recipe for not really getting to play a whole lot once you're back right and as i say when it was a sprained pcl tim priester likes to point out you know what that means don't you there is a tear in his pcl (laughs) so it is not the easiest thing to come back from as a wide receiver with no basis uh or with no body of work to say hey i'm Deion colsey as soon as I'm healthy, get me back in there. He obviously had to earn his way, right? Yeah, which I, I think that even coming into the season, if he was healthy, he would have had to earn. He, yes. he needed yes. to climb a few rungs on the ladder for playing time if he was healthy. He's done it. I think he's good. He's a good sort of target for Drew Pine, who's not super pinpoint accurate because he's huge. Um, but the fact that he's converted, I think, four third and longs, this season, what is it's four, it's if four not five. five. It's five, yeah, it's I think. Four or now. five. Yeah. I think it's five. I have it as four. O'Malley, you can correct me as you go okay. through your own stats. Yeah, yeah. But I think Notre Dame has only converted, uh, like, I think nine third and longs or ten yeah, and third and longs. has got a couple from running. That's It's mostly estimate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's it's impressive that he's done that. Um, you know, sort of hit clicking in a moment where that, which frankly is just not a Notre Dame strength at all. So I, you know, good, good for him for, for sticking with it and finding a role. Um, 
And I think he can be a valuable asset the rest. Like if he just has one catch at USC, but it's for 15 yards on third and nine. Good stuff. I mean, that's what Notre Dame needs. Yeah, he was, you know, we, we had been talking about, we've been talking about Colsey pre-August and all that. And he, and he was not impressing the coaching staff. Uh, so, and then he has the injury. So, I mean, I give the kid a lot of credit when, when a player like this develops in a short amount of time, I always look to, I look to the assistant coach when it comes to football, I look to the assistant coach. And I, and that's why when I asked this question of Marcus Freeman today, I brought up Chancey Stuckey and he did, he did give him credit. Of course, he's going to give credit to his assistant coach, but you know, I, I'm sure Stuckey has been tough on him. And when a play, when you can start bringing out the best in a player, then I think that's pretty darn good coaching. Uh, he's finding seams in the zone. Um, and, and that, that's a skill too. You have to, he's getting more reps. And so he's seeing things and he's recognizing things better than he did before. And they sure as heck need him. Yes, yes, they do. They're missing because we we elevated Lorenzo Styles a year ahead, and uh, Tobias Merriweather didn't get to play much this year. So they 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 desperately needed Deion Colsey. It's one of those stories of of the offense. Well, and and Styles is not playing like Styles is capable of, and and they can't hit uh, Lindsey when he's open. So that's a lot of that's a lot of ifs. But we're all but we all are. uh, I think we're all saying that Jaden Thomas is really really starting to come along, both as a receiver. And as a blocker, he's blocker. like having another tight out t- tight end out there. Next from Irish Doobie. How does this match up with USC compared to North Carolina? I see a lot of similarities with USC having a slightly better defense due to turnovers. I want to point out that this is the first of three questions. The first one compares them to North Carolina. The second one compares them to Clemson or, or the situation. Yeah. And the third one is a, uh, is a comparison to uh, Syracuse. So, uh, what is the best way to attack USC's forest defense? Well, I mean, Notre Dame is going to run right at them and uh, yes. and force them to 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 stop them. And USC has struggled in that department. But as Marcus Freeman said today, you're not just going to keep running the football at USC, especially if Caleb Williams is is you know leading some short, quick touchdown drives. You're going to have to mix the pass in there. Obviously, but I, but of course with Notre Dame, it starts with a run. Uh, and it, is it a repeat of the Clemson strategy? I have no doubt that ball control, Notre Dame 7 and 0 when leading in, in time of possession, ball control will play a very integral part in this game for Notre Dame. I, it, it's funny. We have questions about USC compared to three opponents because, like, I was a little bit more like thinking Ohio State, um, <laughs> whereas like, you're going to have an Ohio State game plan, but it might work because your offensive line and your run game are yeah. at a level where you can actually play yeah. that way and have success. Um, I did not – I have not watched a ton of USC um, this year. I watched some. I thought Caleb Williams was really good. And then I watched him on Saturday night, and I couldn't even believe what I was watching. Um, I, he was just playing at this, like, transcendental level of quarterback. I was just like – I I love Drake May's game. I love watching him when Notre Dame played him, and I've loved watching him since. But, man, where Caleb Williams was on Saturday night against UCLA was just – that was at a different level entirely. So it's – I think you you got to play ball control because it keeps him off the field and it plays to your strengths. Whereas you went to Ohio State, it kept C.J. Stroud off the field, but it didn't play to your strengths 
only because your run game hadn't fully matured yet, and now now it has. So it um, I don't know. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating sort of contrast in styles on Saturday for sure. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you, Pete. That Drake May, I I was a couple of weeks ago. I was like, man, he just does not get enough love for the Heisman Heisman campaigns. You know, that's because they are, got killed by Notre Dame, and people forgot that he had a pretty good day that day. Caleb Williams is a much different level than Notre Dame. The quarterbacks Notre Dame has played now, maybe that was because it was the opener with CJ Stroud. Maybe Notre Dame just played that well and confused CJ Stroud. But Caleb Williams against UCLA reminded me a little of CJ Stroud versus Michigan State last year, where I thought the stats were made up when someone told me, like yeah. nineteen to twenty-one with six touchdowns or whatever. Like, wait, no, that doesn't. It can't be like in a game, right? That's that's the, what he looked like. Against UCLA, he looked so good that when they were down fourteen, nothing. Like, ah, it's, they're coming back. That's not a big deal. They're gonna, they're gonna come yeah, back. No it just, he, he's a machine. Um, it's gonna be a really fun matchup to watch because if Notre Dame can get to Caleb Williams, there's no such thing as a quarterback that thrives by getting hit. Very important thing there. And Notre Dame is Pete. We've talked about is Notre Dame a good pass defense or they great pass defense or are they just beating some teams? What are they? Uh, they're a lot better than everybody USC has played in terms of pass defense, which is one of the worst strings you will ever see of pass defense opponents faced for a team like you. It's incredible how lowly rated their their pass defenses are. And also, they have not faced a running game like Notre Dame since Utah. Yeah. it's gonna. I think it's going to be a... I do think Notre Dame will just try to run at USC, Tim, as long as they can stay within 10 points the whole time they're doing it. Well, I, I mean, if just they... Run. Like if they continue to have sec- success, of, of yeah. course, they'll continue to do that. I got ahead of myself a little bit. I, I, I mentioned Clemson, but the reason why USC is defense is not like North Carolina's is they forced 24 turnovers. Yeah, man. that's crazy. They are a plus 20. They are a plus 20. They have 18 interceptions. North Carolina is not doing that. I don't know what their numbers are at this stage of the season, but that's where it's different. Caleb, Will- Caleb Williams' arm strength is really really good yes from a lot of different arm uh angles oh, and you man. can't tackle him i mean you can't i you know i asked the question today about him to marcus freeman thinking he was going to talk about how elusive he is and he is but then he said he's strong and you can't bring him down either so uh anyway the north carolina comparison yeah i don't i don't USC get that just t- well because i mean i i get it but but North Carolina doesn't have that turnover component like like USC does. Yeah, the, um, the for the for the record, the uh, the passing defenses USC has gone against number their best one is Fresno State at thirty three. The rest are 56, 80, 70, 84, 97, 69, 104, 123, 106, and one eighteen. Now Notre Dame is fifteenth. I don't know if they're good, great, or somewhere in between, but they're better than those other ones. They're definitely better, but they won't have Cam Hart, so that hurts. Right. Question from PG Duman: What is the best way to attack USC's porous defense? I'm seeing a repeat of the Clemson strategy. Uh, would that be effective? I'm I am with the Clemson strategy. I think it will be the Clemson strategy. I I don't know if you guys picked this up watching the UCLA game, but like USC's linebackers do not handle like tight ends motioning through the backfield well at all. I think that. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson threw like three touchdowns to the same guy on the same route. Um, so whether it's Mitchell Evans or Michael Mayer or Holden stays. Um, it was good to see that uh, Salerno caught that touchdown off the RPO that Drew Pine has not seen all season. Um, <laughs> that, cause that that's going to be open. 
That's going to be open against USC. Um, So I like that as a mini strategy within the broader Clemson strategy. And then the third comparison from Madison Kidd, 1973. I watched the USC-UCLA game in full. USC's lines, both sides seem average to poor. Their defense also seemed very suspect. I think that another Syracuse game is possible. What do you say? The Syracuse thing for me, um, they were so small up front and just not capable of holding up. Like if Estime's first two carries at fullback went for two and two, you still could have gone right back to it the next series. But now we're just going to keep running the ball at you because you can't do anything. I think USC has different athletes than that. That's why I removed Syracuse. Um, I, I think the Clemson is the best comparison I can give. Uh, USC is just so, like the offensive line is so much better than Syracuse's offensive line. I, I can't make that comparison either. I don't. I don't make that comparison with Syracuse. Yeah, I don't. The problem with the Syracuse comparison to me is the quarterback is healthy and against Syracuse, he wasn't. Yeah. Um, I think if Garrett Schrader was fully healthy for Notre Dame, like that would have been a game more than it already was in the second half when it got weird for a second. Yeah. That was a um, game. Cause it was weird. It would have just normally been. A yeah. Game. That's a good, point. but it's like the first Notre Dame was sort of had a free shot in the first half to like put as many points on the board as they wanted because Syracuse wasn't, wasn't going to do anything um, with a quarterback who couldn't move. So that uh, that's why I don't see a lot of Syracuse comparison here, just based on the fact that Caleb Williams is a lot healthier than Garrett Schrader and a lot more talented. Um, And if you put Caleb Williams on Syracuse, Syracuse probably would have beaten Notre Dame that day. Yeah. USC's offensive line is not average to poor. They're, no, they're, it's no. A, it's a it's a veteran group. They're averaging semi finalists for the Joe Moore Award. Yeah, I mean they're not. they're they're averaging five point three yards per carry. That's fifteenth in the country. Their running backs are running hard. They lost Travis Die. I don't think. I mean they're so deep at the running back position. Austin Jones from Stanford ran really hard against UCLA. Relik Brown is a kid that also uh, Marcus Freeman mentioned today as a guy that uh, returns kicks as well. He is. He's got some bursts from the running back position. Uh, I would agree with you guys that the Syr- Syracuse is the least of the of these, accurate yeah. comparisons. Uh, in, in the Ohio game. State's a good Ohio State's a good yep, comparison. Yep, yeah. yep, I would yeah. agree with that too. Uh, uh, Pete or Tim, I think you just touched on something very important. Notre Dame stopping USC having running success ends the game for Notre Dame. Correct, yes. absolutely. That, that, but no, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to have it. No, if they do, if they have it, that's the that's it. So yes. nobody has to control that. Then then you can have a game. First, uh, from need a turnover, and these are two questions coming together. What players caught your eye in garbage time against Boston College and Jim Booney underscore CRS thoughts on the young group of linebackers, particularly Sneed, Tui Halamaka, and Kali. Have Have you guys seen the hit that Jalen Sneed oh, laid yeah. on Cam Barfield yeah. at the end of the game? Pete, have you seen that yet? I have not. He absolutely explodes into him. I mean, it's like wind chills down to 10 at that point, and he explodes into him and lights him up. It it was everything that you expect from the guy that I think most of us listed as the top number one top guy, player yeah. in the class. Uh, I thought he was really impressive. I thought Aiden Kanana was impressive in his return from an ACL injury, which we thought was going to keep him out for the whole year. He made it back under eight months. <laughs> That's really impressive. I think him, the future on the interior with him and Gabe Rubio and some other guys, I thought Jason Anye, despite the, the, um, the face mask looked physical in there and active. 
you know, Nolan Ziggler comes in. He's been standing in the cold all night. He gets an opportunity. He explodes into a guy and makes a tackle. That's that's a, you know, normally you'd say that's a given, but a freshman playing for the, the first time. Uh, those were some of the guys. I, I, I have others. Anybody for you guys that stood out? I don't know. It's, you know, I guess Jabron Bain, Payne actually got carries. I don't know if there's anything to take away from him at the end of the game with a backup offensive line. But, uh, I mean, just the fact that Seed was around the ball. Um, yeah, he had, five, he had five tackles. Yeah, he had cold. I mean, I think they were all assisted tackles, but he was around the ball. And, yeah. you know, it's like you can't play if you don't know where the ball's going. And in this game, he seemed to know where the ball was going, even if it was garbage time at the end. So that's that's significant. At some point, I don't, you know, kind of getting into the next question. I don't know if it's when it's going to be significant, but it's going to be significant. Well, I think it's an incredibly deep group next year, all of a sudden, where there is going to be rotation of you could really rotate if they, if Sneed and Kali keep playing like this. I think, exactly. might, are... yeah, I think Tui Halamaka still might be, be headed to the Viper spot because <laughs> you don't want to necessarily go six deep at, uh, at linebacker and, and, and I think you, need was, him. you need him. And you, you and need, you need him. him and Pete, and Pete I, I, I want to point this out because Pete mentioned this to me in August. Um, on the on the most on the only famous play of August camp when Drew Pine rolled out and hit Braden Lindsay beating Jaden uh, Mickey, it was Tui Halamaka chasing him. And at that point, Pete said, "Somebody said to me, I like this guy at Viper more than other positions." And I was like, "Well, he looked like a Viper on that play." Absolutely. <laughs> I, yeah. I do think he might move because they're going to have Bertrand Kaiser. Leofau, Kali, and Sneed, varsity, five linebackers for sure. And I think, you know, I mean, weight keeping keeping his weight down for Tui Alamaka right. might it might not, I mean, it's might not be a natural thing. He had to he had to really cut back from where he was early in his high school career to get to where he is now. And if you saw him in that game, maybe he had a couple extra layers on for the for the game against Boston College, but he looked a little bit bigger. And when he tracked down, who did he track down? Um I think it was Broom. I like Alex Broom. I think he's going to be a pretty good back for them if he ever gets anybody to block for him. Um, yeah, I was going to say, where, where is he going to, where is he going? Trans- yeah, transferring mean, to another school? But. <laughs> he's, pretty, he's, he's pretty resourceful for playing behind that line. But I think it was him that he he ran down. Uh, and it just, sh- it, right there, it's like, okay, that's a guy that you want. Mm-hmm. You you would you kind of like coming off the edge. Question from I Believe in the Irish. Why didn't Steve Angeli play against Boston College? It is a rare win when I can post something on Twitter at 11 o'clock at night of logic and people embrace it. If Steve Angeli played in that game, that was game number three. Drew Pine gets hurt on the first play against USC or any other play, and he's out for the year. Steve Angeli would have burned a red shirt playing USC, the bowl game, and three absolutely meaningless plays that he did not need to be involved for. So they were smart about it. It's four games. It's the same reason I bet you Sneed was probably ready game six to run out there, and he came in in game nine. Because they preserve Sneed's red shirt too. I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, it's people really get mad when the backup quarterback doesn't play. It really, I mean, um, but re, what is Steve? <laughs> Steve Angeli wasn't good, he game, wasn't nothing. going to benefit in any way from going out onto the field. So, and I didn't. I full disclosure, I didn't think about. I thought I was thinking he had played one game. Yeah, he had played two. Not yeah. not two. And I wasn't thinking about the the I don't remember which one it is now, the Syracuse or UNLV game. I know he played in both, but I don't anyway. Um there's no there that the whole idea of getting some of these guys in for this mop up stuff 
is way, way overrated. But if Steve Angeli were a senior walk-on, he would have played quarterback probably in that game. If you want to get a backup in, that's what they were doing. Sure. Yeah. Frank, nineteen fifty-seven. What seniors do you think will be back for Notre Dame next year? Oh. Like, well, let's go back to our previous conversation. Okay. Cam I Hart. now agree with Pete Sampson that Cam Hart will not be back. Thank you. Uh, we have heard that Brandon Joseph will not be back. I agree with that as well. And I think there's a good chance that Justin Adamalola does come back. He is getting evaluated. He is one of the people submitting his name for sure. Um, Braden Lindsay will not come back. We were, he is either Tom Loy reported it or Tom Loy was told that. Um, he put it on our board. I'm not sharing secrets here. <laughs> uh, Howard Cross did not walk. JD Bertrand, Jack Kaiser, Maris Leofau did not walk. That means they intend to come back. Otherwise, because even if they intended to transfer right now, you would walk to get your Correct. senior day walk. Right. Bertrand um, will be back. Bertrand, Leofau, Kaiser, Cross, uh, Carell, obviously, and Christofik did not walk. So those would be the names, I think, that only matter as seniors. Iquanu walked. Oh, Nana Asafo Mensa did not walk either. Thank goodness. And uh, that's it for the seniors. Jacob Lacey left. Brandon Joseph's probably leaving. I don't think we made I was surprised Salerno and Vincent walked, although maybe it's just they've been there five years. They might be ready to roll, right? Like, yeah, they have jobs at McKinsey Consulting. Yeah. Salerno just is like he falls into the two deep when he shows up for spring practice because the numbers, I thought yeah. he might be like, yeah, maybe I'll go. But he got his touchdown, too. So that's good. He did. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this. I was thinking of it. I don't know if I mentioned it in segment one, but Tommy Reese obviously gave yes. him his his moment in the sun or it just it was a snow, nice as thing. I yeah. as I said, tail of tape. But uh, yeah, uh, DJ Brown, DJ Brown walked. Remember, he would be a sixth year senior. I was surprised that he might I not don't, be. I don't. Back. My impression is he. He's he, done. Yeah. That. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't like there was still some question as to whether he'd come back this year, next year. I, I just don't think so. You have any intel on that, Pete? No, I think you guys have summed it up pretty well. Okay. Um, I would say like Cam Hart, I was pretty sure was leaving before the weekend. And then well, talking now. to people around the program, I am certain he is leaving now. Yeah. And Joseph, we're due very, to the, very due to the, the injury playing a Just role. What in he that? wants to do. Okay. You know? Well, in addition to that. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's like when I mean, we talked about in the last week, like what is Cam would could Cam Hart use another year of good tape? Yes. What could Cam Hart really not use? Another shoulder injury. <laughs> Absolutely right. It's it's the Josh good Adams thing, now. only not as long as long lasting, right? Josh yeah. Adams we knew was leaving as a junior, whether he got 10 yards or 1700. Yeah. Yes. Uh, question from GKLF. Is there this is for you, uh, Pete? Is there any bowl <laughs> scenario where is there any? I know you've already said, I think we've already commented on it. Is there any bowl scenario where Nordane plays LSU? Yes, let me interject. No, yes, <laughs> go ahead, Pete. God, O'Malley. <laughs> there was, and now there's not. Um, Notre Dame has won too many games, and LSU has won too many games. I've have, I have people on Twitter saying like, well, I I think Notre Dame's going to play LSU in a New Year's Six Bowl, which has two fallacies in it. <laughs> Notre Dame's not going to play in a New Year's Six Bowl, nor can they even play LSU if they got to one. So, no, that's not happening. Um, okay, yeah, so the so the argument there would be, but yeah, Pete, they're up to thirteenth in yeah. AP, and if they get in the top twelve in the in the college football playoff, go that ahead, won't be it, enough. Shoot it like down. they they have to be higher than twelve. I I think there's a there's this misperception because there's the New Year's six. Six times two is twelve. That means you have to be in the top twelve. No, that's not that's not how it works because Tulane or Cincinnati is going to go to a New Year's six bowl. Uh, if TC goes to playoff, 
Kansas State will probably go to a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, the SEC could fill both at-large slots in addition to a playoff spot, in addition to the Sugar Bowl, so they could have four teams in. So at this point, if you're holding out hope for Notre Dame to make the playoff, what you're really rooting for this weekend is Vanderbilt to beat Tennessee, uh, Michigan State to beat Penn State, um, maybe Auburn to beat Alabama for the heck of it, um, Oregon State to beat Oregon. There's just... There's too much, too much stuff. Um, but, but it like as it relates to the the Gator Bowl, you you mentioned Holiday Bowl or Gator Bowl, and and that would that that would be contingent upon Clemson making the playoffs. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I I think the the Gator Bowl and Holiday Bowl are both in play for Notre Dame. It, um, there was there were reps from the Gator Bowl there, and I asked one like, could you explain to me who gets to choose first among Holiday Bowl, Gator Bowl, and Cheez-It Bowl, because they're all in the same tier. And he said, it's Cheez-It number one, Gator number two, Holiday three. If Clemson goes to the Orange Bowl because they don't make the playoff, that means North Carolina probably is going to win 10 games because they'll beat NC State. They would have to be picked ahead of Notre Dame because there's a two-win difference. They would go to the Cheez-It Bowl, and then the Gator Bowl would have a choice. Do, Do you want Florida State, who's in state, or do you want Notre Dame? Um, I'll believe that a bowl will pass on Notre Dame when I see it, but I've been told that that's sort of where they're leaning, that they'd like to have an in-state team of their bowl. And like, hey, Florida State's had a kind of a bounce-back season, right? Um, so it's like, I can understand it. Uh, and if that happens, then Notre Dame would head to the Holiday Bowl. Now, you just said a two-win difference between Notre Dame and North Carolina. That's assuming Notre Dame loses to USC. Correct. North, yeah, North, if Notre North Dame Carolina. beats USC... That makes the Holiday Bowl a lot harder to get to um, because then the Cheez-It Bowl could take Notre Dame again because uh, they would be equal to North Carolina in, in terms of the plus one win rule. But okay. if Notre Dame loses this weekend, it's it's all it's Gator or Holiday. And I think even if they win, if they win this weekend, the New Year's Six, I don't think is going to open up this massive opportunity there just because of the teams in front of them and who they're playing and the, the bold contract, the bowl contract tie-ins are kind of gum up the works for a new year six for Notre Dame this year. Maybe no, Brian Kelly against Notre Dame, maybe down the road, there's there, there should be plenty of time for that. The, the potential for <laughs> the, that. That's matchup. not Tim. That's not the matchup I want to see. No, no. I want to see the matchup of Brian Mason versus Brian Polian. <laughs> Hey, by the way, Luke Fickle, nine and two, chance to finish ten and two after they had like the second or third most draft picks last last spring. Dude's a hell of a coach. All right, we're gonna end with a question from Mr. Irish Red. Besides the weather, why would you guys love to go to the holiday bowl? Well, I just heard from Pete that Notre is probably going to the Gator Bowl against LSU. So I'm not really sure why we're even talking about this, but I will uh Besides the weather, there's not a lot of determining factors in our bowl destination excitement other than the place we're going, San Diego and the weather, because if it's not a major six bowl, let's say, oh, the Fiesta Bowl and going to Camelback Inn, while the bowl committees treat you very well, there is nothing compared to how the I am told the Rose Bowl and how I'm told and I know how the Fiesta Bowl treats its uh, its visiting media. What what do you think? Why would we want to go to the Cheez-It Bowl as opposed to the Holiday Bowl? We've already been to the Cheez-It Bowl. Even if we hadn't been to the Cheez-It Bowl, why would we want to go to the Cheez-It Bowl? So the Holiday Bowl, was, I don't understand. I don't understand the question. I don't understand the question. It wasn't called that, but it was it was not it was not warm. 
it was the camping world bowl. camping yes. world. It, it, it wasn't good i you know i mean san diego who doesn't want to understand san diego? i don't understand the I mean, question i don't, I don't get the, question. The, the holiday bowl is i mean through the years it's like i don't know if it's just coincidence or what i mean it's always been exciting games it's san diego it's it's petco it's there's san a diego. lot of reasons it's san diego it's warm. San, diego. It's san diego it's san diego it's warm it's san diego it's i don't you know it's, it's like, different i mean we've me been, ask- you know we don't want to we don't want to go back to I, look i'm hey if it's orlando i'm there man but you know it's kind of i i would imagine there i know there's a lot of people around notre dame that kind of feel the same way about going back to orlando yeah i think that they've they've been there done that um so three times three times this would be the third time, right? Or is this? I guess they're including the Champ Sports. Bowl. I am. I'm including the Champ Sports Bowl. Okay. That's, this that's would fair. be our fourth bowl trip to Orlando for four different named bowls. That's a lot of bowls in Orlando. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just I like the idea of a, a and then like the matchup to me in the Holiday Bowl is auto, like guaranteed to be good. LSU, whether it's Utah or Washington or UCLA, like those are good matchups in the Cheez It Bowl. I'm sorry. In the Gator Bowl, you could get South Carolina. Doesn't really do anything for me. Um, Cheese It Bowl could get Texas, could get Kansas State. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, uh, yeah, I just I'm a, I'm a big proponent of the Holiday Bowl for many reasons, uh, including the opponent, but most certainly because of the weather. I think a Utah in the Holiday Bowl would be an interesting yeah. matchup. UCLA would be an interesting matchup. Washington, I don't think they run the ball real well. And so I'd like Notre Dame's chances better against that opponent. But whatever, for right now, it's Notre Dame USC this weekend. And we're going to be back on Thursday with, with Iris Illustrator and Insider to talk all Notre Dame USC. Thanks for joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>